0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Pilot's Journey podcast, where we discuss aviation, maintaining proficiency and enjoying the journey. My name is Stuart Stevenson, aka Pilot Stu, a private pilot in North Dallas. And my name is Stuart Stoll,
1: aka CFI Stu, a certified flight instructor near Fort Worth, Texas, and I have a sinus infection today.
2: (laughs) And my name is Mike Hart, aka Mike Stu, a private pilot, aircraft owner, and IFR student here in Idaho Falls, Idaho in the mountains of the West. I guess, you know, the one of the things I'm uh, starting off on, I uh, I am totally psyched right now, lo- obsessing over weather because um, the uh, trip we're planning for, uh, uh, well, for my IFR, uh, major cross-country launches on Wednesday. And I, it's one of those things, uh, the weather is, getting out of Idaho is going to be the challenge because of icing conditions and trying to get on airways. Once, but at the same time, it's the, the ceiling... The, the ceilings tend to be low, or not the ceilings. The uh, cloud tops tend to be uh, reasonably low this time of year. So you can climb, once you're up to 12,000 feet, you're over the tops, and so you can fly over the top of the weather. Um, so if you can get up, then you can get out, or or we may be ducking under until we can find a hole and then then get out, sort of VFR to IFR. Uh, but uh, anyway, that, that, the launch is Wednesday, so I'm obsessing over long-range weather forecasting right now.
1: I'm telling you, the winds are really strong here this week.
2: <laughs> and what's what's strong by your standard?
1: Oh, in the thirty to forty mile per hour winds. Yeah, I, and that's mile per hour. That's that's not nuts. So
2: yeah, I was gonna say it's it's I, I anything I, the the winds here have been similar. Uh, we've had like. 10 or 20 to 30 knots. I think we had gusts of 40, but mostly 30 knots. I I almost went out, uh, but the the clouds were too evil. So we we did not go out and play in them.
0: (laughs) What uh, kind of speeds are you flight planning at?
2: You know, I, uh, I, I always flight plan with the 182 for 130 knots. And the, uh, the interesting thing is it, it, it all depends on what weather systems are between here and there, because it's uh, anywhere from typically just under nine hours to fly down there if, if you were to do it continuously, which, of course, neither my gas tanks nor my bladder can afford that to do that. <laughs> uh, and then on the way back, uh, more likelihood of, uh, of a headwind, so more like 11 hours on the way back, potentially. So uh, so ground speeds between 140, 150 knots going down and ground speeds as low as 110 coming back.
0: I made a flight across from Dallas to Lubbock a few years ago that um, it, the cars were passing me. And the wind was so strong out of the west.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I yep. mean, we've all, we've all flown an, an airplane backwards before, right? Just <laughs> not
2: right. intentionally. You know, I I have. I, where you where you have you have a really good wind aloft, and you get it in a slow slow flight configuration, so you yeah. can watch your negative. I I did it before I had a GPS, where I could watch negative, or so I could literally watch the the thing go backwards. That was that's a very entertaining. It was a oh, one fifty two. Nothing
1: nothing beats getting. A, it's probably one of the most evil things I can do to my student as an instructor. I don't know, but it's nothing beats getting my student an IFR student up under the hood and seeing if he can't do slow flight under the hood. And when he's doing it just right, holding his airspeed and everything. And I tell him to look outside and he sees that we're flying backwards. And then the airplane immediately stalls. And then he's trying to recover it. <laughs> oh, um, you are mean. Oh, it's awesome. It's, great. it's <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> tell it me not to use
0: you for any training.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, woo. That doesn't happen very often, but I, I take, when, it, when the winds are just right, I, I'll take every opportunity to do that.
2: <laughs> well, nothing else, you know, just seeing a, a ground speed of zero, uh, if you rely on, if you, in, anywhere in your scan, if there's an instrument that gives you ground speed, that you because I always, I, I'm not going to say I obsess over ground speed, but it, it kind of is my measure of progress of, on a long, long trip in particular, you know, am I making time or am I losing time? Uh, compared to the 130 knots, I, I typically plan on. You know, that's one way. And if nothing else, it's a way of gauging whether I have winds uh, either assisting or or pushing against me. Absolutely. Is whether I'm getting that 130 knot ground speed. So it's part of my situational awareness. But if I looked down and saw that it was zero, I think that would be kind of disconcerting. You'd be you'd be using a lot of fuel that day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know,
1: I, I, it's or or, or you just need to raise your flaps. One of the two,
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: I had a student, I had a student say that. Like, well, you know, why am I going so slow? I can't figure this out. I'm almost at full power, and I can't get more than sixty knots. And it's like you never raised your flaps. When are you going to do that?
2: Oh, yep, yeah. That that definitely takes the uh, takes the speed out. Uh, you know, getting the cowl flap in. That's one of those things where. I'm, in my cruise checklist, getting the cow flap, uh, once I'm at altitude, getting that configured, always gives you quite a few. I mean, it, it, it's a, considering it's, it, it drops down in a way that uh, seems like it's in line with the aircraft's uh, aerodynamics, I, you wouldn't think you'd get so much uh, speed out of pulling, sucking the cow flap in, but it does make a difference.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're a complex aircraft, the landing gear and everything, all that, all that parasite drag stuff, it it does. It's, it's, you can feel it as soon as you retract or extend anything really.
2: Stu, uh, how's the, uh, how's the commercial ticket going? Did you get out at all this past since the last podcast?
0: Uh, I got out today as a matter of fact, the first time Ooh. in over a week. Um, and I think I'm starting to get the hang of the lazy eights. Uh, I, I set up and did uh, about 30 miles from the airport, and I just started doing Lazy 8s back towards the airport, did about 10 miles of them. And just that repetition seemed to help really fine-tune it. I, they're certainly not there yet, but they're getting closer. Nice, very good.
2: So, you know, I, Tracking a glide slope, I can kind of feel like I've got S-turns going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's not really... That wasn't really <laughs> tracking now,
2: would it? <laughs> no, that was just a joke. I, I don't think I haven't had it. It hasn't been gone that bad, but I did. Uh, I got uh, quite a bit of flying in since our last podcast. I, uh, we did a quick launch to Richland. So I got six hours, seven hours of, of flying in uh, mostly just cross country, but we did half of it. Or the the way there, we went GPS direct and uh, left all, all the instruments on. And uh, uh, that was an interesting... So it was pretty straightforward. Then coming back, did partial panel the whole way. And if you go on um, aware and look at the difference between my track lines of partial panel versus being able to follow the, the Garmin magenta line, um, I mean, it's not horrible. But at the same time, it's noticeable. I mean, you could definitely see... Uh, that and some diversions trying to get into clouds because it was an amusing thing trying to ask ATC for uh, changes in elevation and changes in altitude so that we could uh, actually get in clouds rather than the other way around. But but I did go out uh, last week and it just made my entire, it's probably one of the most fun flying I've ever had. I, I I had a permanent grin on my face because... Uh, went out in real IFR, had actual IMC conditions, and uh, climbed, or, or did a procedure turn right as we entered from the through the into the clouds. Right when it was time to do the procedure turn, so you know entered the clouds. Got we're, were still climbing, and then hit the procedure turn. Did a turn. In, you know total IMC. Um, that experience you kind of alluded to the way you feel when you're climbing and then roll out and turn. Yeah. It, every time, every time. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't, you know,
1: I was telling you the hood can't simulate that. There's just, no, the it hood just cannot.
2: Simulate that, not at all. And, uh, and how, fa- how fast you can get behind the airplane in terms of keeping track of what, what things are going. And, you know, I, uh, the, the whole concept of single pilot IFR. I mean, I had an instructor saying, "Okay, check your heading." It's like, "Oh
0: my gosh, oh my gosh!"
2: <laughs> and as soon as I get the heading pinned down, check your altitude. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, Instru- it was, it was,
1: instructors, instructors, just say, "Keep your scan up, please."
2: That's yeah, how,
1: or you're gonna make your student focus on an that instrument. That's my little instructor tip. Oh
2: today. right, okay. Keep your scan up. Oh, that's a good call. That, that well, and and uh, that's the thing. As soon as you you get on one, then you then you. Right, yeah. over it watch
1: I, your altitude. Well, you guess what he's going to do? He's going to watch his altitude. <laughs>
2: you know, <right. laughs> but well, yeah, that's, that's what
1: you asked it. for. Exactly right, and that's, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. No, it took it took me about a year to figure that one out. That if I told him to watch the altitude, hey, they're going to watch their altitude. <laughs>
2: right, right, At the, to the uh, detriment of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly
1: right. Yeah, but that sounds that's a great experience. Yeah, like I said, the the hood. I mean any instrument students out there, if you can go fly in the clouds with an instructor, go do it because the hood will not simulate that, that disorienting experience that you'll oh. get every time you get in the clouds No, and, it it, was- and it's gone. It's over. There was no hope of ever getting your
2: sense of direction down. I mean, it's, it's just gone. And then, uh, no, in fact, what was interesting when I was in, you know, I'm feeling really confident with radio, handling the radios, of course. Well, as soon as you do one thing, then you're, you're off task on something else. But, uh, you know, the tower, you know, said report, uh, you know, inbound. Uh, and so I did the procedure turn and I swore, I mean, it's like, I feel like I'm like the airplane feels like it's going West, not East, you know, I had done the turn. So I knew I, you know, I had it awareness in my head that I'm going, you know, I have done the turn. I did the times, but mentally and, you know, in terms of just the feel, I, uh, I actually, I, I'll call it cheating. I'm trying to not use the, the uh, I'm trying to fly basically just off needles rather than having all those magenta lines and uh, yeah. maps that help you. But I quickly just punched to the map and, and dialed it back. And it's like, yeah, I'm going the way I'm supposed to, but God, I'd swear I'm going the opposite direction. I just had to do it just to verify because it's like, my brain is screaming at me one thing. And, uh, but my awareness of what I had just completed a procedure turn. So that tells me I'm 180 degrees from one my last course.
1: There you go. See, I mean, you're, you'll, you'll lie to yourself. You're your, you are your own worst air, uh, enemy when flying. I mean, absolutely, your own worst enemy when flying. I mean, that's that's for everything, even VFR and stuff. Because I mean, all, all the pilot, you know, people that cause all these pilot errors. But yeah, definitely, your airplane can fly better than you can.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I was working on instrument rating. I I thought I was pretty good. You know, I'm hot stuff and all that. Until I got into actual conditions, and you you can't get those little subtle side cues from the, the shadows and the the light and um, the things coming through the the side of the foggles that. Um, right. It's just totally different world when you're actually in the soup.
1: Yeah, there's no substitute for actual. I mean, that's why you have that's why you have the simulated block time and the actual block time in your logbook because
2: right, right, They don't
1: they don't interchange. I mean, it's completely different.
2: Well, and that's that, that, so coming back to my obsessing over weather for this planning. Yeah. Um it's kind of an interesting thing rooting for crappy weather but not so crappy that you can't fly in it. Uh, you know, because you, you want, uh, well, I want to have more of that. I really want as much of that actual as we can possibly get.
1: Yeah, get some of those air and so none of those sick Met.
2: Yeah, exactly. The, uh, yeah, the first gas up location is Telluride, Colorado, which if we can get in, I've got an alternate as, uh, as to if weather won't allow us to get in there, but it's a 9,000 foot uh, field elevation so landing at nine thousand feet at full uh full gross will be an inter- entertaining thing it's spring so it's, it the good news is it will be uh uh still cooler air maybe even standard standard temperature and i've run the number performance numbers on the aircraft and know it will definitely do what it needs to do in that uh uh at that elevation, we can get the climb rates we need to clear the terrain and to meet the obstacle or the departure procedure. So we, we're, we're good to go in that regard. And I used to live there, so I'm familiar with the valley. It's it's surrounded by a uh, uh, 14,000 foot peak. So I mean, it's a U-shaped valley that on the north side, the east side and the south side, you have you know, 14,000 foot terrain and then
0: so let me guess which direction you leave by.
2: You depart to the west. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's only one exit out of that valley. In fact, the uh, procedure procedure is an immediate climbing climbing turn uh, for, for obvious reason. <laughs> so
1: let me ask both of you then. And you consider your your strongest point and your weakest point in your current training right now.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, spot landings is definitely my weakest point. Your power-off 180s stuff? Right. Short field? All right. Yeah, I, I still have a hard time hitting the mark. Uh, maybe one out of three or four times I'll, I'll get it on where I'm looking for. But the other times I'm either short or too long. Well, what do you think is causing that? What do you,
1: is it just... It's all the wind's fault. It, it's all the wind's? <laughs> the, compensating for the wind, that's
0: the... No, it's yeah, the wind's but, fault. I, I, I did fine.
1: Oh, oh oh. Okay. Okay. I see. <laughs> and projection, defense mechanism, I see. Okay. Very good.
2: <laughs> and for me, it's going to be, well, definitely uh, I need more IMC, true IMC, because I got in it enough to realize that it's tough. It's hard. And skills that I have when I'm under the hood are not skills that I possess when I'm in real IMC. So that's one, one thing. And then uh, in terms of approaches, it's probably I I need to get out there and do the old DME arc. One of the things that I, for sure, is that the Garmin is such a, it's such a cheap way of, you know, you really do need to train without the the benefits of that stuff, flying just off needles, because it's almost like if you have the Garmin and the map, you don't even have to know anything. You just fly the lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why the map should be for situational help only
2: really well you know what it amounts to is i'm, I'm basically uh denying myself access to it uh in terms of and it's never in my scan i always have it set to a position where in my scan it doesn't gain me that same situational awareness where i'm still just flying off the needles
1: i mean you you pretty much described the perfect use for the map earlier when you said uh, you, you lost your situational awareness and you went to the map to make sure you were flying in a certain direction and then you, you stopped using it. That was, that's exactly what the map should be used for. And uh, uh, it definitely should not be used for navigating.
2: Well, I, I, I would, what's interesting is I would agree with that for training. I'm not so sure I would agree with that for flying and across the board because other than maybe if you, be, if you become so reliant on it that you've forget how to do all the other stuff. That's probably the, the reason to, to always stick with the primitive, you know, just flying needles. But uh, the-
1: uh, Well, I mean, the GPS comes with pages, that uh, nav pages that aren't the moving map. I mean, they're more accurate. The thing is, is that it's not accurate. You have a pink line, um, but the width of the line, are you on or off your needle? The needles are, are way more precise than that pink line um, I mean, you can, you can, you can change settings and stuff, but depending on you know, how, I was zoom-
2: say, if, if you, you zoom in, that, that was what happens is I, if you zoom in to the point where it's like 1500 feet resolution, resolution, then uh, it's more sensitive than most of your other instruments. Right. But then, you, but then you don't have situational awareness from it. You don't really see orientation to, with respect to other. Right.
1: Other. And you don't know how many degrees you're, you're off the line. You can't tell that right. you're, you know. You can't tell deflection or, you know, anything or, you know,
0: a little airplane symbol is probably a mile and a half wide. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, especially if you zoom, you can zoom way in and then you get a nice little pink symbol. But then you have it's it's just not. It's it, it's it's practical for your situational awareness, but it's not as practical. And I would dare say it's not really as safe as for navigating. So if you're navigating using your VORs, I mean, what you can do is you can have the nav page up with your pink line, and then you can slave it to your OBS, and then you can track the OBS needle while you have the nav page up. But you shouldn't really use the nav page as your primary means of navigation. It's what I'm
2: right was what I'm trying to say that moving. You're arguing nav. for the needle rather than the. Uh, the oh, absolutely! The
1: yeah, because you can see I'm one dot deflection to the to the right, or you know, and uh, but see.
2: But my, my experience is, if I have that sucker zoomed in. I can keep it corrected um, before I even see a needle deflection. And uh, instead of chasing the needle, uh, I was listening to the uh, oh, the pilot workshop has uh, the airmanship series, which I I downloaded the or have that uh, series of uh, uh, well, it's it's a course, but it's also uh, and. three files that you can listen to and and they were talking about you know one of the things they were discussing was the whole issue of chasing the needle that they were interviewing a, a oh a guy who who on you know the combination of check rides what's the what's the biggest problem that he's seen and that's what one of them, what it is is instead of locking in a heading it's oh the needle's deflecting so they Put in 10 degrees and it's like well it's still deflecting so they put in another 10 degrees and pretty soon there he said he's seen students flying you know or or people on their check rides you know almost at a 90 degree angle to the the course and then of course then the needle's centered and they feel like the problems go- there they go they're it's centered now they don't have to worry about it but they're tracking 90 degrees from the course line so now the needle's on the opposite side so they just chase the needle back and forth and back right. and forth
1: The worst situation, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, that's the one thing I found that if I zoom that garment in all the way where it's, you know, like I said, a thousand feet or 1500 feet, I'm not sure what the the total, the tightest zoom level, um, the deflection you see off of the, off the, that is, is finer grained than the deflection on the needle. And, and you, I end up feeling like I'm not chasing the needle as much that way. The reality is I, what I really need to be doing is looking at, at my headings, you know, looking, yes. looking at the heading, picking the no-wind heading, locking that in and keeping that in my scan so I stay there. And that's, that's the problem is what's happening is I uh, diverting from that heading and by not having it in the scan. So again, it, it's a crutch. That's why I'm turning it off or trying not to use it. But, but in playing, playing with all the different instruments, ways I can get situational awareness, that one is one that, is, that seems to have a pretty high level of granularity and a little bit little bit easier to stay on heading in my scan by staying on that magenta line when I'm totally zoomed in. But the reality is I really would rather rely on the heading uh, indicator rather than the garment just because what if i'd lose the garmin then i have i need i still need to be able to fly heading.
1: you're you're talking right in the direction i'm wanting to go <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's well it's a combination of, and that's the problem i think with the, the with well, that equipment is that you if you if that's the only way you fly it's so it gives you such good situational awareness you can become overly dependent on it to the point where you don't know how to fly the needle or your heading indicator
1: right well uh my biggest pet peeve really when doing, um, you know, practical test evaluations and stuff in, is the GPS with a hold. And, you know, they <laughs> Yeah, my inter- holds looked
2: a lot better when I was following the Magenta oh, Lines. Oh, just it's, when so, I,
1: it's so I obvious.
2: My, it's I looked at my track on, on, uh, when I was just flying it with numbers and the wind just was wanking me. <laughs> we had... A- You'll, anyway, have, go ahead. Sorry. you'll have
1: a student. You'll have a student, for example, this is what this is what irks me so much because I can it's so obvious. You have a student, he sets it up, he's got the little moving map, he enters the hold fine, but it just so happens that there's you know a 30-knot crosswind in this hold, and he enters it and he picks his crosswind heading perfectly, and he goes outbound and he goes for one minute and turns and, and, and you know does his turn in the hold for the inbound or the outbound heading, etc. And then just miraculously determines the perfect heading for the crosswind and, and flies it around and enters the hold. And I'm like, okay, I, I know for a fact the student has, couldn't even tell me what heading he, he needs to fly inbound or outbound that he's been doing. I can, I, he, if I were to ask him, if, well, I mean, I don't ask him. What I do is I turn off the GPS and I say, okay, let's keep going because he's still flying using the VORs. The VOR should have been, you know, it's a VOR hold. He still can identify his fixes and stuff. All I did was just turn off the moving map and he loses it. It's completely gone. He doesn't, he doesn't, he did the hold. He probably, I probably let him do it three times in the hold, you know, three turns in the hold. Can't even, doesn't even have a concept of what heading it was that he was holding when he was in the hold inbound or outbound. He, you know, he all of a sudden can no longer give me a one minute inbound course. I mean, it's completely gone. You know, we're way on the non-holding side now and, you can't get the needle to come in and, and it is no, just, it's,
2: I think that's exactly the case is that the, the, as long as you have, as long as you have a GPS that gives you all that information, it, it, it makes perfect sense to use it. But in some ways, I think it's sort of like a lost start of pilotage or dead reckoning because you don't need to do it. Uh, the skill is not there. And when you need it, if, if you needed it, uh, you know, you, you can't have it so, the skill so rusty that, that it uh, is not useful. So, so anyway, that, I think that's the challenge of having the higher end, uh, uh, or not, it's not even that, not so much the higher end, it's just the modern avionics. I, you know, when I was renting planes, the, the avionics were, were definitely dogs, and, and there is some advantage to learning in a kind of a doggy, a doggy panel versus kind of a sweet panel like that. I, I did bump in my, uh, my next-door neighbor in the hangar uh, uh, after we fit, came back from the last trip. Uh, he uh, invited us over to take a look at, he's got a, a, a Piper Malibu and uh, flies single-pilot IFR in that. Uh, he's a president of a, a company and uh, flies a lot back and forth to San Diego and, well, all over the country, to be honest. I think he was flying down to Florida. Uh, soon as well, but he has the. Of course, it's not a garment It's not the Garmin uh, One Thousand. It's the what's the other one? Abadine. So he's got the Abadine glass ooh, I'm not, panel. Oh,
1: ooh, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, know,
2: oh,
1: okay, it's the Cirrus one. All right.
2: Yeah. So it, apparently, it, you know, it's a 2009 Meridian. Oh my God. Or Malibu. I'm sorry. It was. It. it it's just a. You know, 275 knots, the, oh, it was just, it had that new airplane smell. I, I, I it was really nice to go look at it. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things that was really interesting on that, and, and this relates to the IFR planning uh, for this trip, is that he um, indicated that, you know, when you get into the busy airspace of like San Diego, Southern California, it, you know, takes him, it doesn't take him any time to get there. Uh, and and you get the benefit of GPS direct when you have the GPS, obviously. Except once you get into busy airspace, they keep you on airways. You know, they they lot they channel everybody into the highway system so that they can flo- do flow control, basically, into the the major airports. And you know, he always counts on the flight time it takes to get there, and then a half hour or so for sequencing because of the busy air. So that's one of the things that that there's really not a lot of busy airspace between here and Texas until we get into the the Rio Grande Valley and then it's a little bit busy um but I'm one of the things that I learned was that man the controllers just want to offer you GPS direct at every turn yeah yeah uh, at least in the at least in the vacant lands out here I think what it sounds like from listening to some of these uh, uh that again that pilots workshop uh series the they're all, most of the commentators are coming from back east, where, you know, in Massachusetts or around JFK or Albany or Boston, they the airspace back there, nobody gets GPS direct. It's, it's not only that, you don't even get, no, you not get GPS direct, whatever you wanted to file for, they're going to assign you what they want you to fly on. So you're going to get different assignments than your plan anyway.
1: Oh, I never get what I, I file ever. I never get what I file. And I never get my arrivals either. <laughs> I just stopped filing arrivals because they're just going to give me something, you know.
2: Well, our, our plan at this point, you tell me whether it makes sense, is to, you know, we're going to file to uh, major GPS waypoints, or not GPS waypoints, I'm going to call them uh, major fixes, like a VOR, uh, so we get out of Idaho Falls. We'll fly to a VOR, hopefully achieve our altitude between in the climb out, and then from that VO, major you know uh, departure point, then file GPS direct to a given the next major well the ne- basically to our destination where we'll file to another VOR, or so we can basically go from major you know intersections, if you will, and then go from those to. Uh, uh, you know, initial approach fixes or into the airports that we're aiming for. Well, I mean, yeah. With the with the idea being that the controllers will probably be able to handle. You know, if once if we pop off our GPS direct onto a VOR, then with the next point being an initial approach fix, then then into the airport. Then ideally, the assumption would be that there, then we'll get whatever approach is the right one for the winds.
1: Well, here's here's my anal method of IFR flight planning. And um, whenever I'm planning to a destination, of course, I always check the preferred IFR routes in your airport facility directory first. And I'll plan that way. And then I plan the, the VOR or the NAVAID route. And then I just expect to do that with GPS. Because if the GPS fails, then it's, oh, I'm still on this Victor Airway. I'll just continue flying my route with my VORs or you know, or anything like that, because uh, also you have those, you know, maybe you have, if you lose radar contact, you can give quicker, you know, time distance information for your required, you know, IFR reporting points, or, you know, if you, um, you know, lose comms, your Avenue F to the MEA acronym becomes a little bit easier when you're on airways and stuff. And, um, I don't know. I just think uh, in case of if something goes wrong, planning Victor Airways and stuff seems to put less thought and stress into your into what to do next, you know, if something well, goes wrong in the air.
2: Right. No, so, so you plan a Victor Airway route, but do you fly a Victor Airway route, or do you go GPS direct and then have the, the a flight plan backup that's Victor Airways to go to revert to?
1: Well, I try to fly. I mean, I try to fly it. I'll, I'll fly it using the GPS, but um, I'll fly Victor Airways and between VORs and stuff, and um, uh, I'll fly the departure. I mean, I'll file the departure procedure and stuff, and um, but you know, uh, I'll file that. And I'll fly it because in case I I do lose comms and radio communication, I can continue on as I filed here and they can expect to know where I am, uh, etc. But, um, you know, once I get in the air and I'm radar contact, they're going to just vector me on headings and then they're just going to say you're cleared direct to this airport. Have fun. Good day. (laughs) You know, so. Um, at, at that point, if they clear me direct, yeah, I'll probably fly direct, right? Because it saves you money on fuel and everything, and that's always a good thing. But uh, as far as filing goes, I, I file GPS absolutely last. So, absolutely.
2: Well, that's the plan is basically to have. Uh, I think, it, again, on a 1,300, 1,400 nautical miles, if I fly, fly Victor Airways, I'm adding a couple hundred. I mean, it adds quite a bit.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so but it but it way- also but you also have to kind of get, yeah, there's this kind of, if I fly direct, I save money, but it may, you know, there's an argument that it may be a little bit safer to go Victor Airways. And then.
2: It, right. Well, the nice sad. thing about the, definitely the nice thing about Victor Airways is that the, the MEAs are right there. You know, they're very apprehensible. You can find them. Uh, you know, you immediately can look up, you just pull out your low-level chart, and there's your MEA, or you know, you know what your crossing altitudes, your reporting points, everything's a, is very much, uh, you know, your your margins are all built in. Whereas uh, when you're flying uh, GPS direct, you know, you can go to the Aurocas, uh which is really high, or you can just let you know ATC get, assign you altitudes as you're as you're cruising along. And they're going to tell you when they need you to step up or step down. But if you do have lost comms, you need to have your own understanding of what the the route you're, that's underneath your GPS direct and right. you know, what's four, four nautical miles on either side and what pointy things you need to dodge, and et cetera.
1: Right, yeah. And then, you know, if you lose comms and you're going direct, you'll probably arrive way early. And then you'll have to hold anyway until you get close to your ETA and then shoot, losing comms is never fun
2: but that's that's a that's an if <laughs> i was going to say have you ever had that have you ever done the 7600 squawk oh yeah oh yeah
1: and this kind of goes back to episode 12 <laughs> i don't know what i was on but i definitely came off as a uh, as someone who always screws up <laughs> like oh yeah i get i get phone numbers all the time let me tell you <laughs> And oh, let me tell you how many times I've had this emergency, and etc. That's it's not exactly what I, the point I was trying to get across. I I was really uh, I've had experiences with these many a time, but they weren't uh, you know one or two have been my fault
2: ever in well, my career. But at but at I, the same time, you got to realize that hangar flying is always selects for the interesting stories, and the interesting stories are not when everything went you know I. I filed a flight plan. I got up in the airplane. The skies were clear. Nothing happened. I landed. What, I mean, it, that's a wonderful, it's a great experience. And that's obviously what, one of the things we're looking for. You're not out trying to seek out uh, adventures of, uh, of difficulty. But uh, oh. well, at the same time, it, I'm so glad, like I said, I I was so glad to finally experience the what you warned me about, which was the just imagine climbing, leveling off, then, then turning in IMC. It's a different animal. Yeah. A, a, was, a turning? You, you almost predicted exactly what I experienced. Oh, today. yeah. yeah it's, it, was, it was... I would see uh, that on
1: a daily basis. It's, I mean, it's perfect. It happens every time. And it even happens to me.
2: Like, I'll
1: be the instructor and the student will be flying. And I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. I just have to turn off my senses now because I know I'm, going to, I'm not even going to know which way is up, up or down. And then what's worse... What's even worse is being the instructor because you're in the right seat. So the instruments aren't right in front of you. You're actually looking to the left a little bit. across. Right. Yeah. The, so not only are you, is your head turned to the left and you're in a turn and you roll wings level and you're looking to your left, you're not looking straight ahead. It's even, it's even more disorienting. So <laughs> all you see of double eye instructors out there, have fun with your head cocked to the left a little bit. When you're right. flying in the clouds, it's even worse. But uh, let me—I'll tell you my two lost calm stories real quick. Um, yeah, I have—I have—I do it with like episode twelve. I have a hundred of these, right? <laughs> but uh, there's there are two that re- really stand out of my mind. Where um, uh, I was solo, I was doing my commercial long. I was doing a—I wasn't doing my long commercial cross country, but I was doing a commercial cross country in my commercial training, and I was flying a 172 P model from Addison Airport to was it Hooks or Hobby in Houston? Yeah, Hooks is a smaller one. I believe American Flyers is at Hooks Airport. I, I was flying to Hooks. And halfway there, you know, out in the middle of Texas, there's nothing around me. In, ha- completely like right at the halfway point on my flight plan. Um, uh, I'm talking to you know they're telling me to switch channels, uh, you know, good you know, contact this center, good day. And I was I went good day. And uh, as I switched over um, I noticed that my radios were getting a little bit quieter and I could hear this distinct uh, ticking uh, sound in my headset. I don't know if it was kind of, um, if any of my like rotating beacon was kind of bleeding through right. the electrical system or something, but I could hear this t- this ticking was starting to get louder and the, and the communications was starting to get quieter. And um, <laughs> I'm looking, uh, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, you know, the center comes on and says, hey, I need you to recycle your transponder. I can't see your transponder anymore. You know, I don't know where you are. And I'm like, okay, uh, let me re- recycle the transponder. And he comes on and is like, you know, did you copy? And I was like, yeah, copy. You know, did you copy? And I was like, oh, great, here it comes. And then he starts getting quieter, quieter, and all of a sudden it's just static. And then a ticking and static, and that's it. And then all my lights go out, and then everything goes out. And I was looking at my amp meter, which is, which is showing a charge. So uh, I have no low voltage light on. It's just, I lost electrical. Right, uh, some, I, and I'm
2: somewhere, not, some, so then.
1: Yeah. So, you
2: know, I'm sitting here. circuit breakers and I t- assume nothing was there. Right. So I, I went ahead and squawked
1: the squawk code and I went through my checklist, you know, recycling everything. It didn't really help. Um, this was not the first time this happened to me in this airplane either. And I remember telling the mechanics, "Hey, I've been losing comms and electrical stuff, and they couldn't reproduce it. So, of course, they never fixed or, or fixed it or pursued it any further. But here I am again, going, okay, great, you know, electrical failure again in this little Cessna airplane, and let me let me troubleshoot. So, I got out the checklist. You know, after cycling the master switch and the avionics switch for a while, I was like, all right, checklist time. Eventually, I got it to come back on." And um, they said, we see your squat code now. Uh, um, Do you still want want to turn around? And and I was, you know, I'm right at the perfect halfway point. So I might as well continue on because there's there's a mechanic where I'm going
2: anyway, right? I was going to say, there's a mechanic at either end and halfway point. uh, I mean, you're over Texas, which is, I kind of noticed one of the things is my cross country is 1,400 miles and about half of it's Texas.
1: Yeah, yeah, Texas—it's a nice, big, flat in all directions. <laughs> you know, good airspace. But so that was kind of before I was an instructor. That was probably my first real in the air near emergency experience. So uh, I was kind of. So proud what, was your, what,
2: was, what was your number two? Okay,
1: my number two. All right. So, uh, my number two is that uh, this is when I was flight instructing for US Flight Academy in Denton. And I'm with my student. And I believe we were, we, we were out doing private pilot maneuvers. I was teaching a private student. And we decided now, the thing with Denton Airport is it, it's a control powered airport, but they don't have radar. And there is a lot of traffic at this airport. So the control tower is, is constantly trying to talk to people, and he's using his binoculars to try to figure out where they are. And so here we are. We're coming in from the west. We're wanting to enter the downwind on a 45. I, I, uh, because there's no radar, we contacted them right over uh, required ground points to let them know we're entering the delta airspace. And uh, as we come in, right as we, we enter the downwind, and right when we enter the downwind, he gets us. He says he sees us. You know, clears us to enter the downwind. We're number three, I believe, in the pattern in the downwind for landing. Full stop. And our radio goes out. Like it's it's just it dies. We have we have power, but our radio just dies. It's gone. Uh, we're checking the, joy,
2: the joys of renting.
1: Right. So I'm, I'm thinking of, of uh, you know this is a really old 152 also, but. Um, you know, I'm checking the volume, of course, because the first thing is always the volume, right? So I'm messing with the volume, and then, of course, the squelch, and uh, I can't get it to come on, so I'm powering it, and I'm trying to cycle it. So here I am. I'm rocking my wings. I'm looking for the other traffic. I see the other three traffic, or I see the two traffic, because he said we're number three. So as the second traffic comes by, I go ahead and I turn base, and I tell my student, look for light gun signals from the airport, uh, rock your wings, um, do everything you can. Uh, cause we extended our downward a little bit, but then comes this other Cessna, uh, all of a sudden just screaming in for a straight in and, uh, we're base. And I know there's no way I could turn in front of this airplane without, you know, causing really bad congestion. So, uh, we're kind of coming on in a 90 degree collision course. Now. Right, right. So right. you
2: see him and he's
1: got it. So I'm not going to uh, uh, basically because we're descending, we're coming in low. Um, I determined the safest thing was to uh, I can't turn final because if I turn final, it's just going to be horrible. So what I do is I extend my base through the final and I I dive kind of low to get underneath him and come back up. So he flies over me. At this point, he saw me. I don't know if that was a solo student or not, but he saw me. I came back in, re-entered the final. So now I'm number four, and I can see all the traffic in the pattern now. So I knew it was safe. Number four, rocking my wings. He gave me the light gun signal. Oh, good.
2: He got uh, the light gun.
1: Yeah, I got the light gun. As I'm coming in to land, though, on short final, this helicopter, and it just screamed in right over me as we we're in the flare, and it comes in and lands. And it turns out that... As I was coming in, because the, the guy didn't have radar, he got me confused with another air, uh, aircraft that was on final, and that comf- that got the confusion here because he cleared him for number two when he thought it was me, and then I was coming in, and then on short final, when I was getting the light gun signals, this helicopter comes in and declares an emergency that they're losing hydraulic pressure. They oh, need to the land, they land now. I mean, and uh, so he clears him the land, and I, you know, he would have told me, hey, you need to look out for this helicopter. It's an emergency, but I had no radios. Right, right. <laughs> so this helicopter who has an emergency and me who has lost comm emergencies are sh- screaming into this airport. And this guy has no radar. And it, oh, just, it was just this complete cu- cluster fudge of a mess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ooh, nice sensor there. Yeah, yeah. I hope he got uh, some time off after that. Oh, oh,
1: yeah. And, and of course, you know, when we land and we shut down the airplane and stuff, and the mechanics come by and, and turn it on, well, wait, radios work now. So, yeah,
2: of course. Well, yeah, but it's the folks in towers in general. I mean, just like that, uh, that's an awful lot of things happening. And to have the, their situational awareness to realize that, you know, we're trying to reach this guy and he's behaving in a way that is not consistent with the last set of instructions. Then they have to deduce through you know deductive reasoning that you have lost comms. Right. Whip and out the light. Whip out the light gun, and then hope to hell that you actually know the light gun signal.
1: Right. And uh, you know because he doesn't have radar, he can't really see my squawk code. Right.
2: And right. Um, uh, and you don't even know if your landing lights on or off. Obviously. Right. So I comms. was like I no was trusted. You have anything that's going out? Rocking your wing.
1: Yeah. The only thing I had was rocking my wings, and and. When you're in the pattern, when you rock your wings, that's a pretty good... Uh, I mean, the aim sets up how, you know, if you, if you rock your wings left and right, that's um, a yes. And if you yaw the airplane left or right, it's a no. So you can reply yes or no to the control tower uh, with your yaws and your rolls. So um, that's what we were doing, trying to get his attention, letting him know that, you know, rock the wings left and right when we got the solid green light. And um,
2: that's the... I think that's the... Again, you come back down to hangar flying and storytelling it, it, it's the stuff where everything happens and and that's but that's similar to the whole concept of uh you know accident analysis it's always where all these crazy things line up where yeah it's extremely improbable that you would end up with an airplane with lost comms and a helicopter on an emergency descent and a guy cutting you off in traffic coming in uh anything can happen
1: uh just suddenly i mean it, it's, it's amazing how quickly your workload can build up very rapidly and suddenly when things start going downhill. So it doesn't take much, you know.
3: not fairy tales is the tagline of girls with wings a nonprofit organization encouraging more girls to have an interest in aviation our interactive website girlswithwings.com features stories of women in aviation explaining what they do and why they love it so they can inspire girls to reach their full potential learn about our presentations at girls groups purchase a t-shirt with a slogan it's not how tall you are it's how high you fly at our online pilot shop and support our mission by becoming a girls with wings crew member Donations and other fundraising go towards our educational outreach activities and private pilot scholarships. Visit our booth at Oshkosh and become a fan of our Facebook pages. You can also sign up for our newsletter, read the blog, and follow at Girls with Wings on Twitter. Follow our mascot, Penelope Pilot, 2 She's got her own website at PenelopePilotProject.org and has her own book, Penelope Pilot and Her First Day as Captain. We can entertain girls while we educate them that, yes, girls can fly.
0: Stu, we've been talking about the IFR and commercial training, but, uh, you're, you're doing some training now too, aren't you?
1: Uh, yeah, I, um, I just started this week pursuing my ATP, uh, certificate. So I'm going to start with the, uh, written first, and then I'm going to go into the, uh, flight training. So, um, it's just a glorified commercial rating from what I understand. So. <laughs> Stuart, are, are you about ready to take or have you taken your written commercial test yet?
0: No, uh, I don't want to get it too far away from the practical, uh, so I kind of put it off since I haven't been able to fly much lately, but um, I, one of the best things i found is uh, an iPod app that just goes through the, the test questions, and it's good for those, those three-minute times when you're waiting in line for the, you know, the bank or something like that.
2: Yep, that's exa- I've been doing that one as well. That's, I agree, that, that app, is, uh, there's one for instrument tests, so there's one for commercial as well then. So it, it is. It's a great little app. I, I love that sucker because yeah, you're right. You can every time you have a little bit of spare time, just pull up a test. Or you know, the one thing you don't get is uh, sometimes I think, okay, if I do ten questions, I can at least get. If I get seven out of ten, then I'm passed. You know, <laughs> the idea of trying to turn it into math, but to be honest, I just get one or two questions, and it's like, ah, oh, that's good enough. That's fine.
1: So here's my commercial written cfi stew tip of the of the month right? there's there's these um uh, with the commercial written there's a lot of uh flight planning questions that um the answers don't actually match up with the question so you kind of have to get whatever's closest and then whatever's closest there's no clear-cut answer whichever's closest and it's just this one series of flight planning questions that really frust- frustrated me and uh all the other instructors trying to teach them because when you would teach them, you'd work it out and you wouldn't get a correct answer. It wouldn't be one of the three. So we found that there's actually a, a, a system to working this problem by just looking at the answers. And it's not really a just memorize the answer technique, you know, for every single one of these. It's, there's, um, there's three methods. There's three possible answers that you can get with these. And if you can just memorize the formula... Uh, you'll get it right every time, and I believe the answers are in time. So you'll get um, you'll get answers where you know A, B, and C will be an hour and ten minutes, an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and thirty minutes, or thirty minutes, forty-five minutes, an hour or so. So um, I believe, and I'm, I'm kind of going off this off the top of my head. I haven't haven't I haven't actually tested this theory in a long time, but I believe what it was is if all the answers are under an hour. It's the answer that's closest to an hour, and if all the answers are over an hour, it's the one that's closest to uh, an hour and thirty minutes. That's the one I can't (laughs) really remember. And then, and then, and then, if you come across one where one of the answers is just an hour and four minutes, it's an hour and four minutes. That's it. That's it. You have this. You have this long, you know, fuel burn, huge. Uh, cross country planning word problem that takes like 30 minutes to go through all of it. And if you can just look at the answer and go, Oh, it's that one. Yeah. You, know? you
2: know, it's, that's what's funny is, uh, you know, how they, the, the no child left behind education. Uh, you know, <laughs> one of the, one of the critiques of that, of course, is, you know, it ends up with the, the teachers teaching to the test because it's so standardized test based. And, uh, so here we have it, no pilot left behind.
1: Exactly right. Well, here's <laughs> here's my philosophy for the written test. I I am not a fan of the written tests. I think they went... Oh, well, they, I mean, so
2: many, so many of the instruments that I... The one thing is the, my primary training when I was, you know, 20 years ago, I, I, I'm amazed that I still know how an NDB works. I don't have one in the airplane, and I'm not going to need to know how to do an NDB approach. But the reality is, I still remember how they work. And I always get those questions correct, which well, is we, hel- hilarious, because it's such an antiquated what
1: I What I've learned about these FAA-written tests is that they, the only thing that they teach you is how to take a test.
2: I know I understand, have a full understanding of the physics and the principles, but then the way of question, they, because the way they word those questions is to try to jack you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, see, that's that, that, that that's ends up my- just making you do this mental math that just throws you off, and then it's like, dang it! I, I understand exactly what the principle is, but the way they've worded it, I have to kind of go forward, backwards, and then reroute it, and you know, draw it out. So that's and then- the
1: that's the primary problem with these written tests. I've, I've, these you know these written tests are are written by. By people who aren't pilots, they're professional. Well, no, they're te- they're professional test Absolutely. writers. Absolutely,
2: yeah. They're, they're, their goal is to make sure that a sufficient that it's sufficiently confusing that you really have to have a mastery of the subject and, uh, to to truly be able to work it out. Well, I was, and, I was, and, I was, and therefore, I mean, if if you don't, if if the bell curve, if everybody can pass it with just a moderate understanding, then then it doesn't really test whether you really have a mastery of the knowledge. So I think it's 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 the nature of, of uh, the testing is the goal. Is if you, you you want a certain percentage of people to fail it, otherwise you don't get a curve. Right, exactly right. That's that's and, and so you have to write the test sufficiently obtusely so that a certain percentage of people fail it, and that if you're really thinking, if you really understand, and you really have a mastery of it, you should be able to get it right. But at the same time, you're still going to make stupid mistakes because every time I take one of those study buddy things, I always. Go back and it's like, oh crap! I misread it. I, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I knew the an- I knew the answer, but I answered it wrong.
1: I'm looking forward to trying to find all the crazy questions in the ATP written that I'm trying to go through. I
2: was just gonna say, so is the ATP? Uh, is it worse? Is it longer?
1: Oh yeah, it's huge. It's probably the, could, it's, it's it's <laughs> definitely the heaviest. It's definitely the heaviest glime that I've had to buy. Well,
0: it's everything that leads up <laughs> to that point.
1: Yeah, it's, it's private.
0: It's instrument. It's commercial, and everything in between
1: right you have, to, you it's have to the weight. catholic
2: understanding
1: i'm really looking forward to all the weight and balance issues i look forward to trying to find the uh the uh, uh lemac you know for a 737 <laughs> because uh you know when you have passengers that are up and walking around on a huge jumbo airliner you can't really have a center of gravity because that center of gravity moves as the passengers get up and walk around in the cabin so you have to find the average center of gravity and then you have to calculate where that is against the center of lift, and for some reason I'm kind of drooling over that.
2: <laughs> you know, Such a- this sounds like a really bad, a bad thing, but uh, uh, this maybe I even shouldn't even say it. But I remember when I was a, a kid, we we once uh, all the kids on the bus on a school bus route. We lived out in the country. On three, we did we all ran to you know jump from one side of the bus to the other side of the bus so as we going around a <laughs> corner. <laughs> <laughs> and we just about put the bus on two wheels. We didn't really fully understand the physics of of what, even the mass of a bunch of you know oh, eighth no. do. And uh, the reality was, it had a lot more impact. Scared the crap out of all of us. And I'm just thinking of, uh, uh, I mean, it's kind of a good and a bad thing. You know, a plane full of terrorists, and they all just run to the back. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, but then all you end up with is a, losing a plane full of terrorists. So. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: If he if had that auto trim turned off, it'd probably do something. But if, if you're ever up in the cockpit and all of a sudden the auto trim just starts spinning, you know that there's people up walking around.
0: Auto trim. Uh, Let me think about that. I don't yeah. think that they have that in the Cardinal.
1: No, no, they definitely don't have that in the 172 either. But another thing, because uh, I'm on this whole kick now because um, Uh, I kind of, I have my website that I mentioned at the end of every episode and uh, uh, I'm kind of going through writing curriculum and rewriting my lesson plans. And of course I'm starting from, you know, private pilot one, you know, day one. So I'm kind of hitting aerodynamics pretty hard and I'm really educating myself through aerodynamics. And it's absolutely amazing. The, the, what, everything I knew about aerodynamics I now know was just basic. It was the basic, basic of aerodynamics. You know, Bernoulli, Newton, airfoil shapes, pressures, that's about as basic as you can get. And um, I came across this website. Oh, I guess we'll put in the show notes. But uh, with the help of our friendly neighborhood NASA aerospace engineers, they kind of uh, uh, display or, they, or rather they have a website that helps dispel some uh, aerodynamic myths uh, on why these theories are wrong. And, and then they tell you what's correct. And so you, it, it's one of the most amazing aerodynamic websites I've ever come across. Um, you know, the, the, they talk about what is lift really? Um, uh, yeah. How an airliner gains lift, you know, with stuff, but how does a, does a ball generate lift and how does rockets generate lift and kites and all these different things and um, they list all the math formulas and, and, oh, it's perfect. And that, that website is uh, www.grc.nasa.gov. And um, you can go in there and, uh, and absolutely spend hours and hours trying to understand this stuff. Apparently the way that airfoil really generates lift um, is by turning air, which is a new concept to me. And, uh, it still uses Bernoulli's pressures and everything, but they have this new if I'm reading this correctly, it has a new kind of uh, physics applied to it or additional physics that are actually going on when an airfoil is generating lift.
2: I'm not sure which podcast I was listening to, but it went way into the some of this detail. Uh, I'm wondering if it was a science podcast or if it was an air aviation fi- podcast I was listening to. Uh, I'm, and I'm I'm about as geeky as it gets when it comes to science, and, and it was it was definitely uh, beyond my interest in following. It was like, eh, I'm glad other people find that as interesting as they do. I, I didn't have the time to whip out the old uh, slide rule and do the, the calculations.
0: Well, there's a book that I think you'd enjoy, Mike. It, it's called Beyond the Black Box by George Bible. Okay. And it, it's all about the physics of airplane, uh, really essentially crashes. But oh. it's oh. incredible information, great detail in the studies of how impact forces can affect and, and the survivability of different uh, aircraft configurations.
2: You know, I think that in, in the mountain flying course, that was referenced just because of the, uh, it was the FAA, uh, the FISDO safety guy was, was a participant or was was there as a, for the, the uh, mountain flying seminar because it, it in any event, they were talking about there was a, I think it was a Learjet or a Citation or something. Along it was I'm not sure how many years ago, but in the last decade, but not that recently that uh, crashed somewhere near Sun Valley. And the uh, you know the whole issue of how much energy you have, what's you know what the speed of the aircraft and its mass, or you come back to that F equals M A, uh, the G rating, uh, you know how many G's do you have when you go from 370 knots to zero knots, uh, if it's into a cliff, you know we're, we're basically in 20 feet, the entire aircraft comes to a screeching salt halt instantly. Uh, you know the, the G load is just uh, amazing. And then the other part is you know the survivability of human tissue and bones. Uh, I mean you don't end up with parts. you end up with fluids left over. Uh, it's, it's kind of gruesome, but when you when you have a really high speed and short distance, the whole I mean the, the whole point of the, the the discussion really was the fact that fly the fly all the way through the crash. The whole point is if you can spread it out over more distance, it's much more survivable than if you uh, stall and go down and, and ha- versus. Uh, you know, and that's the other thing is you, the compressibility of a spine. You, you're much better off having forward Gs than you are having downward Gs. The, bo- the human body is much better at taking forward Gs than it is compression Gs on the spine. So you definitely don't want to stall out and then plop down vertically. Anyway, got really, really gruesome thoughts. <laughs> All right, here we go. I finally found it. So um, I'll have to look for that. I, you'll have to put it in the show notes. I'll yeah, look definitely. A, it sounds like an interesting uh, reference.
0: Well, with that, we probably need to wrap it up. Uh, Mike, did you have any shout outs?
2: You know, I'm trying to think. Uh, I definitely, I'm enjoying the, the, uh, the, the pilot workshop series. Uh, I, I, that's been uh, just entertaining, if nothing else, as well as informative. So that's been helpful. Uh, so a shout out to the folks who put that together. And um, that's really all I, can, all I can think of at the moment. I, maybe I'll come up with one after you get, uh, after you do yours.
0: I do have a couple of shout-outs. Uh, the first one is to Ted Glick. He's known as The Ogre on Twitter, and he left us a really nice iTunes review. I'd also like to point out that uh, iTunes reviews and uh, star ratings really help cut through some of the clutter and help people find uh, aviation podcasts. Uh, so if you're so, cl- so inclined, uh, we'd appreciate it if you would leave us a review. Uh, and another thing on aviation podcasts is there is a new site called aviationpodcast.net, or thevoicesinyourhead.com, either one works. And it's a consortium of aviation podcasters getting together, and the the goal is to have a central repository where people can get new aviation podcasts as they come along. Uh, Eventually, we'll also have things like forums and uh, some other features that we're going to try to get in there. Uh, But one uh, feature that we're talking about, and I wanted to get some input from listeners if it's something you'd find useful, is an introduction feed. It would be a special feed available on aviationpodcast.net that would include new episodes or or initial episodes of aviation podcasts as they become known to us. Uh, In that feed, it would be a sampler so that you'd automatically get the the first episode of any new aviation podcast that comes along. You can then decide if you like that uh, show that you can download that directly by subscribing directly to that podcast uh, and it's just a way to, to keep everybody up to date who's interested in what new shows come along and uh, kind of give you a sampler to decide if that's one that you want to add to your normal collection. Uh, if that's something that interests you, if you'd let us know, you can email me at pilotstew at the uh, and that would help us to, to narrow down uh, the interest there There's also a place on that site uh, where you can submit podcasts so if there's one in the list that or one not in the list that you'd like to see there. There's a way you can submit that and we can get it into the uh, the listing. Uh, Stu, did you have anything that you wanted to point out or uh, any shout outs?
1: I have a shout out to one, uh, Mr. Troy Knight, who's uh, one of my latest students from CFIstu.com. who's working on his instrument rating. Uh, he came on and did the, the uh, our instrument ground course and um, uh, got him set up, went through everything and, um, uh, now he's out flying and, uh, and getting ready to take his written. And so I'd like to give him a shout out. hope he's doing well with that. And, um, uh, I'd like to also just go ahead and plug my website really quick just because I've been getting a lot of feedback from listeners of this podcast. So I thought I'd go ahead and, um, uh, give a little bit more additional information on my website. I have this whole philosophy of the instructor student, uh, uh, relationship and, um, how stuff should be taught. And I'm, I'm making this experiment with this website and, uh, uh, I can teach online ground through Skype. Um, whether you're getting ready for your practical test or you have written test prep or you just want to go over radio communications, go, go ahead and look me up on cfistude.com. After I went through this instrument course, it wound up the student wound up doing uh, probably 10 to 12 hours of ground with me. And we covered everything, absolutely everything. The benefit of this is uh, that that DVDs can't evaluate and critique you. And they can't give recommendations on your weak points and what you should be studying. And they can't help you change your phraseology to sound better during a practical test. And so the benefit, right. the benefit obviously, with, a, with an instructor, far outweighs that what you would spend on the DVD set. So um, you can get 10 to 12 hours of uh, um, one-on-one ground with me. And uh, come out better uh, than just wow. You know, that's our, that's, our,
2: that's a, actually an interesting model. I, I like the concept of uh, of doing it by Skype. The whole idea and well, the the personal tailoring also makes sense because I mean, there are things that you stall on and there are things that you understand and you don't need drilling on the stuff you already understand. You need the drilling on the stuff that you where either you were wired wired it wrong or where you just Uh, have a weakness cognitively or somehow.
1: Right. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of people, Oh, it's online. I'd rather have it done in person. And if you have an instructor at a school or if you're in a flight school, these flight schools can charge up to $45 to I've seen up to $75 an hour for an instructor. If you have a PayPal account and Skype with a microphone, uh, you can do all sorts of things through Skype, um, from the comfort of your own home. I can, uh, I can share my screen. I can fire up my simulator and you can, and I can talk you through shooting an approach through my simulator and you can watch me do it through Skype. Um, I can, um, uh, Ooh, I can, may have
2: to, I may have to check, take you up on that and try a few of that. Cause I, I uh, that would be, that sounds pretty entertaining.
1: Yeah, we can, I can look up any approach in the United States using AirNav. nav. You know, I can, uh, Skype offers a lot of features through sharing, uh, information and, um, all the, all the add-ons, it, it works very well. People would think, oh, there's probably techn- technology limitations. He can't really show me something on a chart or what, you know, etc. cetera. Um, and that's absolutely not the case. It's very easy, very intuitive. And as long as you have a Skype account, um, we can do this. And uh, cool. Yep. I have two sets of curriculum based off the type of student. My curriculum is based off the FAA manuals and the Jefferson manuals. So What I've done is I've set up a curriculum that is the absolute cheapest way a pilot can go. Uh, The FAA manuals are free. You can download them in PDF format. You can get IFR instrument charts, um, government charts offline for free. And then you can go the Jeppesen route where you can pay $80 for a manual. It comes with a guided DVD course and my curriculum follows that guided DVD course in addition to that. So whatever manual you wanna work out, I have a curriculum that can follow that. The lessons that we do, um, I can send to you afterwards an MP3 format and you can take them with you you know, in your iPod or MP3 player and listen to them in the in the car or something to kind of recap of what we talked about. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do. It's, I believe it's well worth the money. And um, if any of that sounds interesting to anyone listening, go ahead and give me you're, an email and uh, we'll get you sent I was gonna say, you're,
2: you're gonna, we're gonna have to call you NM CFI Stu, <laughs> New Media CFI. That's right.
1: Uh, it is an extremely valid, intuitive, and easy method, a convenient method of, of teaching ground. The, I have not found a limitation on it yet. There's nothing that I've found that is even remotely difficult or impossible to teach through Skype. Cool! I
2: think it's great that you're making a, making a go at uh, making a living through aviation, with aviation. I mean, obviously, you're passionate about it. And that, I mean, anytime you're... Uh, you enjoy what you do. It it, So much makes life worth living when when your work aligns with your personal interests and your passions.
1: If I could just make a living just through cfistu.com, I would not hesitate to do it.
2: Um, (laughs) It is a blast to get
1: up in the morning, come up to your computer and have someone there calling you, asking you about aviation. That for me is a thrill. I love talking to people with aviation passions. and, uh, so, uh, part of that philosophy is I'll always give a one hour free ground to everybody so they can try me out, test me out, see if they, if this is something that they want to pursue, if not, then nothing out of pocket on your expense. So, um, you really have nothing to lose. Uh, just come in get your one hour free ground. See if it, if it beats your sporties DVDs. And, um, if it does, then, uh, by all means, let's set you up and get you, get you that high level of knowledge.
2: All right. Well, good shout out there. So CFISDU.com.
1: CFISDU.com. Yes, sir.
0: Thank you for listening to the Pilot's Journey podcast. We'd love to hear your questions, suggestions, and experiences. You can reach us at our website at www.pilotsjourneypodcast.com. Or you can leave us voicemail at 469-277-2359. You can also follow me as Pilot Stew, that's S-T-U, on Twitter or MyTransponder.com.
1: And you can reach me on Twitter as Stu. that's S-T-E-W. Also at MyTransponder at Pilot Stew, Stew,
2: And you can follow me on Twitter or MyTransponder as IDMike or at November225Mike.com.
0: Or you can follow us collectively on Twitter as Pilots Journey.
2: Until next time, go fly and enjoy the journey.
1: All right, there's 2.30.
4: Hi, I'm Stephen Force from Airspeed, the Internet's best all-features aviation and aerospace podcast. Airspeed specializes in the in-depth story that puts you in my headset or helmet as I chase the coolest experiences to be had anywhere in the air. Airspeed is the only podcast to take you up in amazing aircraft like the T-6A Texan II with the U.S. Air Force's Air Education and Training Command, the mighty Douglas DC-3 to train for a type rating, and even a full-hour demo ride with the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds in the F-16 Fighting Falcon. And Airspeed talks to some of the most interesting people in aviation and aerospace, like air show performers, NASA's premier expert on motion sickness, the guy who flies the modified Boeing 747s that transport the space shuttle orbiter, and many others. Airspeed is also the place for no-holds-barred, gut-wrenching poetry and prose, from the epic poem Fingers in the Airport Fence Entwined, to the heartfelt first solo, to the Raise Your Fist in the Air comment on the DHS's wildly paranoid proposed LASP rules. The show is in its fifth year and has a back catalog of more than 160 episodes, so there's a lot of quality content there for you to discover. For all that, I'm a regular guy with a day job, a wife, two kids, and a grocery getter parked in my suburban driveway. No airline stuff here. It's all about things that you can do yourself, or if you can't, I cover them from the perspective of somebody just like you, only thrust into circumstances too cool to cover in any other way. I'd love to stuff you in my helmet and take you along on this continuing journey. Subscribe through iTunes or your favorite other podcatcher, and check out the website at www.airspeedonline.com.